In the weeks since the shooting at a Poway synagogue, community and religious leaders have grappled with how to respond to hate. The alleged shooter, John T. Ernest, posted an anti-Semitic manifesto online prior to the shooting, and he is also charged with burning a mosque in Escondido earlier this year. The San Diego Union-Tribune partnered with the National Conflict Resolution Center in hosting a forum where leaders across the nation affected by hate could discuss how they chose to respond. First, you'll hear how the event went, followed by the experiences of a UT editor who drove Rabbi Yisrael Goldstein home and got a tour of Abad. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. Christina Davis, you were at the forum last night as part of your ongoing coverage on hate. So this whole thing was trying to grapple with the nature of hate and specifically how to confront it. So that's my first question. How should groups confront hate? There were four panelists who spoke, and they were all um, people who came from communities um, that had similar hate-fueled violence happen to them. And they're all uh, stories that we heard in the news, right? We're, mm-hmm. we're all familiar with them, Charlottesville and um, the the Dillon Roof massacre. And one of the common themes that came across last night was um, this need to really sit down um, and talk to people who not only don't look like us or maybe pray like us, but people who don't even think like us. Um, And we need to have those community dialogues and try to find the commonalities between ourselves, which is way easier said than done, right? Um, Mm -hmm. As far as how do you do that? You know, I don't know. I think think there's still a lot of um, unanswered questions and and people are still grappling for solutions for this whole thing. Um, one of the first steps is to just talk about it, though, right, and spread the awareness that uh, there is a huge problem, there's a huge divide in this country, and um, we need to figure out how we're going to come together as a society to bridge those gaps and to kind of come to some common understandings um, and figure out how we collectively, what direction we want this society, society to go in. And this forum came at a time in which, as a nation, we're kind of struggling with finding community and loneliness. And that seems to be one of the most common themes of individuals that choose to attack others there in isolated communities. So did the the speakers kind of address that problem of like there are places online or in culture and groups that create those spaces that create hate and how can they fight that? One of the men on the panel last night, his name is um, Pardeep Singh Kalaika. And his story is very interesting. He um, is a, a Sikh in Wisconsin, and his father was in the temple in 2012, I believe is the year, um, when a, a white power skinhead gunman came in um, and killed several people, and his father was killed. Um, and Pardeep reached out to someone um, he probably wouldn't normally reach out to to understand you know, why this happened and, and how could someone do something like this? What's the thinking behind it? And he reached out to a former skinhead. Mm-hmm. And um, the two ended up becoming friends and they ended up writing a book together. And they founded an organization together um, called Serve to Unite that basically does what, what you were talking about. It combats this isolation and this um, very negative sense of identity mm-hmm. that um, people have uh, where they start to get into these 
groups, um, these online forums, um, or even more organized groups like skinhead groups, and, and where a lot of that starts to develop. Um, Serve to Unite goes into schools and communities, and it brings together youth from different cultural and religious backgrounds to really foster that sense of understanding and really healthy self-identity um, and, you know, makes them change makers for, for the new generation. Yeah, so it seems like the base psychology of hate is, is your identity built around something positive or is your identity built around hating an other? Right, and I think to narrow it down even more, is your identity um, built on um, on on common commonalities or mm-hmm. is it based on differences? Yeah. And I think that's that's uh, what groups like Pardeeps are trying to change. Mm-hmm. So communities that have been affected by hate, what are the first steps to begin the healing process? One of the overwhelming responses that I heard last night um, from people who have gone through similar things to, to what we have, um, what Poway has gone through, is that it's like this fire is lit within them um, that maybe they didn't expect. Um, and of course there's grieving, there's mourning, um, but it's activism. So many of these people said, you know, we... Uh, we never thought we'd be the poster boy for for these movements, um, but they found themselves in that position after the tragedy um, and really embracing it. All right. Christina Davis, thank you so much. Thank you. Mark Platt, you're the Enterprise and Immigration Editor for the Union Tribune, and you had a rather interesting evening last night with Rabbi Israel Goldstein. How did this come about? Well, we were at the uh, we were at the forum that was held by uh, at USD with the uh, Union Tribune, and uh, um, Rabbi Goldstein was the first person to to speak, and he spoke very eloquently. And it was my role to um, after he spoke, he needed to get back to the synagogue, so I drove him back, and uh, we had a chance to chat about a lot of things. I was very curious; I've never met him before, mm-hmm. and so I had a lot of questions for him. Um, the first one was, um, you know, I had asked him about just the experience of what he what he went through, mm-hmm. and uh, he described that just the kind of the emotional toll that it had taken on him and his family, particularly his wife, who was still struggling, and that he was struggling from a psychological uh, standpoint, mm-hmm. and uh, he had been told that uh, he should not go back to the Chabad of Poway for six months. Wow and uh, not even step foot in uh, the synagogue. And he said, I'm not going to do that. I don't think he even spent more than 12 hours outside I, I of that. He went right back and he just said, I need to be there for the for my flock. I need, I'm the spiritual leader of the synagogue, and uh, that's what I'm going to do. So um, you just offered to do a favor, and then it kind of turned into more than that. He showed you around Chabad uh, of Poway. What was that like being in that space? It was really interesting. I uh, obviously being involved in the coverage and reading the coverage, uh, I didn't have a sense for what happened. But I was struck by first of all how beautiful the synagogue was. It's fairly new. I, I think he said it was fit, completed in 1997, but it looked brand new. Mm-hmm. And then how small the lobby was, where kind of the shooting took place. Uh, I was surprised by that. As you walk into the lobby, off to the left is the sanctuary. And then just um, right in back of that is a, a big open area with a lot of tables, and that's where the kids are uh, during services, and they have a lot of meetings and studies there. And uh, 
So he was kind of walking me through uh, what this was like, where the shooter had come in uh, right into the lobby and Rabbi was coming out um, and Lori was right to the right of him. And mm-hmm. so suddenly this was all taking place very quickly. And, um, you know, she was shot, he was shot. He sees this, he's just talking about in the car about how how would you react if somebody was coming at you? What You have no time to think, mm-hmm. obviously. So what do you do? And his first instinct was to protect those kids. He, those, those kids, including his grandkid, was back there. Uh-huh. And so he wanted to run back there and, and basically create a wall between that area and where the shooter was. And that's basically how he got shot in his hands, because he was moving in that direction. Exactly. And then the other thing I was struck by, Daniel, is just as you walk in, and as I said, you see the sanctuary to the left, that was filled with people. That was, that was um, you know, a full crowd there. And uh, the shooter came in and actually fired a shot in there. And he fired a shot, and it grazed the top uh, of the head of uh, his son-in-law as he was reading um, from the Torah. And so I was struck by that. But my my overall, and then at that point, uh, several congregants, and we've read about them, they bravely went after this guy, uh, ran after him, and he, you know, he had tried to reload. He dropped uh, the magazine. He got up, and then he was out of there, and they went out and they chased him. Mm-hmm. And when he was telling you the story of from his perspective, how the shooting went down. How did he How did he seem? Did he feel like he was uh, still processing what was going on? Because people deal with stress in different ways, but right. from your perspective, how did, he, how did he seem? He was processing, and uh, he was very calm. He was very matter-of-fact. He remembered a lot of details. I wasn't expecting to come. I was expecting to just drop him off. Mm-hmm. But he said, do you, want to, do you want to come in and see uh, the synagogue? Was also struck by the way uh, they had a um, they have a guard there. Um, well, they have a professional guard during the day. Um, spend quite a bit of money keeping that place secure. Now, I think he said it was fifteen thousand dollars a month they spend on that. Wow! And then, but that that guard can't be there the whole time. So they have uh, they have volunteers, and so there was a gentleman just standing, um, standing watch, and we walked through. And uh, so I was surprised I wasn't. He said, would you like to see? And I, I did. And that's when he so would you walk me through this whole thing? So I was just really taken by it. it was kind of emotional. One thing that throughout this entire story is just he keeps getting back to this idea of we need to fight darkness with light. That was the first right. thing he said literally hours after he was shot in his hand. What was it like to kind of bask in that light right next to him? I was uh, I was pretty inspired to talk to him because we didn't just talk about the the shooting. We talked about our wives, how long we'd been married. We had a lot in common. He's actually uh, a year or two younger than I am, and um, you know he's got six kids. He's got a, a daughter who's twenty one or twenty two. I have a daughter who's twenty one. Uh, he's got six kids. I have two kids. He has grandkids. I don't yet, but he's been married a little longer than I have. I asked him about his wife and. Um, you know how they met, and they we we both grew up in in New York City. Mm-hmm. So he grew up in Brooklyn. I grew up in Queens. We're kind of like from the same era. We talked about mm-hmm. <laughs> his favorite TV shows. He loves Everybody Loves Raymond and King of Queens, and he said he liked those shows. I was I was inspired because he was he gave me little bits of advice along the way, like my daughter's getting married, and he said just live in the moment, live in the moment. Don't fret about anything that's to come or what comes after or how much you're paying for the wedding. Mm-hmm. Just just enjoy, enjoy it. He has a, very much has a peace. And, and um, I had asked him in the car, you've kind of been given this 
platform, you know, like it was a horrible thing, but now people are, you're on a, a big stage. He went mm-hmm. to Auschwitz. He went to the, the, uh, the Oval Office. President Trump called him. Um, and so I said, you know, what are you going to do that? And he says, well, I realize this is a very short window. This is very narrow. Like I have, a, and so I need to, I need to talk about what's going on and how we have to get rid of this hate and little things that we can do. He said, even replacing a negative thought with a positive thought is a very good place to start. So I was kind of taken by that. So in a sense, what is his strategy for confronting hate? I think he's living it out right now. And I think he's speaking wherever somebody will will ask him to speak. And uh, like he did last night during the, the panel, um, he is living a life. He, he's just, to me, he's a living embodiment of a man of God, a man of peace, who is trying to spread that word. And I think he's using this opportunity. I think he, he truly believes God has, has spared him and is using that opportunity for him to speak to others. Mm-hmm. And also, you're also a man of faith. Mm-hmm. What is it like to be in a place that was truly marred by evil and to see it kind of move forward? Well, I, I, I was struck by that. I, when I walked into that sanctuary, I, I, I imagined all these people coming in and praying and, uh, you know, uh, any church or mosque or temple, synagogue is a place of, of sanctuary. And so for somebody to come in and do something like this, I, it really shook me. And it really made me think about what I would do if I was in the same situation. And I think he acted very, you know, he's just a very brave courageous and inspirational man. So it was it was quite an evening. I was glad I got to spend some time with him. Mm-hmm. And now, as we continue to learn more about the nature of hate and you're leading the coverage as the Enterprise editor, do you feel inspired to kind of tackle this problem in a different way now that you've, you've seen someone kind of be transformed by these events? Yeah, I think I have. I think uh, I've been looking at maybe the sources of who the people are who who are behind this hate, and maybe we should be looking more at the, the inspirational stories of the people who are trying to snuff this out. I think maybe that's given me the different kind of perspective, because it's very hard to pin down what it is and where it is and what is hate, actually. And, you know, there's a definition for a hate crime, but there's things that happen every day. There's all kinds of transgressions that rise in people's minds, whether or not you might think they're hate or not. And we have to get to a point where we, we have to go beyond that. So I think these things like the forum and, and the rabbi speaking out, all these things are great starts. Mm-hmm. And journalism, the way it functions, we have to play by rules as well. So it's, you know, it's not just a matter of shining light per se, it's shining the truth, which in some cases can be dark. Yeah, it's been very tough to uh, even some of the previous stories we've done, and we've looked at some of the the online hate, and we've had a lot of discussions within the newsroom about how much, what do we show, what do we what do we write, how much of this do we want out there? Are we promoting it or are we educating people? Because you have to show some of it in order for people to understand what it is. By the same token, if you if you're promoting too much of it and too much of it is out there. That's not anything that we want to do either. Mm-hmm. And there was some confusion over naming the shooter, which the uh, editorial team has decided not to, but the news side will as he goes to the court system. But it's things like that that are the tightrope that we always walk as journalists. 
Yeah, it's been really interesting to me how uh, there was an article in USA Today a couple days ago that talked about more and more communities are refusing to, they will name the person maybe the first time and then never use the name again. And we had been trying to do some, um, you know, some stories on the shooter uh, and his background, and we haven't had any success. And I'm really, I'm really wondering how much should we even pursue that? Is that mm-hmm. the, you know, is he the story? Do we need to learn? How much do we need to really learn about this individual? Lots of big questions that remain. I just think as we le- we'll we'll be doing. It looks like the rabbis agreed to do a more in-depth interview with us that will take place sometime at the end of next week, and I'm hopeful that uh, our religion writer Peter Rowe can pursue that. And uh, I've asked Peter to go out to the synagogue and and go through that whole experience that I had because there's a lot more detail there uh, that I think needs to come out. There's a lot of uh, heroism uh, that came out, a lot of bravery uh, during those few minutes. And uh, I think it's a story worth, worth telling. All right. Mark Blatt, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the San Diego News Fix, which goes live weekdays at 5 p.m. Our sister podcast is called Refocus, taking a deeper dive on important issues of the day. Extended audio tracks from last night's forum about confronting hate will be featured on Refocus. And to subscribe to Refocus or any of our audio offerings, go to sandiegounshibune.com slash podcasts. Until next time.